The Beyond the Game program is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. TownandCountrySolutions.com. Fearing nothing but God. Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Barry Bonds never took steroids. It's a faith-based sports radio program. Don't ruin it by being an idiot. Highlighting the stories and the people of faith. Have a high moral standard. It's not a faith program that includes sports. It's a sports talk show rooted in faith-based principles. How silly can you get? You want to heckle blind people? That would make me soil my pants. Dude. Welcome back to the show, recording in the BTG Studios in Rochester, New York. Here is your host, Rick Benson. Joining us now is the president and founder of the Mighty Oaks Warrior Foundation. He is also a former world champion MMA fighter. He's earned a PhD. He's an ordained pastor. He's a best-selling author. He's done eight tours of duty in Afghanistan. He was a special operations force recon marine and a federal special agent with the U.S. Federal Air Marshal Service. And if that wasn't enough, he's been awarded the prestigious Medal of Valor. Chad Robichaud joins us once again on Beyond the Game. Great to talk with you again, Chad. Thanks for coming on with us. Oh, thanks for having me this morning. You're a former world champion MMA fighter. And when you retired in 2013, you'd only lost two times. I imagine that was a rather difficult decision for someone who was such a fierce competitor like yourself, what led you to decide to retire from the sport you love so much? Yeah, you know, it it was a really difficult decision because at at the time I I chose to retire, it was it was really at my um kind of pinnacle of, you know, my opportunity to progress on and get better matches and as a competitor it's really never a good time to to uh re, you know to quit or retire because as a competitor, if you lose a fight, you uh, want to redeem yourself and if you win, then the next big opportunity is there. So it, for me, it was a uh, you know it, it didn't feel like time to quit, but uh, my my work with uh, veterans and my nonprofit work was growing so much at the time. I had to make a choice, and uh, it's something bigger than myself, and so I had to sacrifice that. I thought I would have to sacrifice it completely, but luckily, I still get to be involved in the sport, even though I'm not fighting professionally anymore. Well, that is a remarkable decision to walk away when you know to do your nonprofit work. But you, as you say, you still have a heart for competition, and you currently compete in professional Brazilian jiu-jitsu bouts. What's the difference between that and mixed martial arts? And is your preparation for a grappling tournament different than it was for an MMA fight? Yeah, completely different. I mean, a professional MMA is, of course, you know, punches, kicks knees, everything, uh, you can do all the different strikes and things like that. In jiu-jitsu, you know, you have jiu-jitsu competitions like through the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation, such as, you know, the World Championships, the Pan American uh, Pan Ams and things like that. So I'll compete at those high-level events at at the black belt level. But uh, now you're seeing more of uh, these pro jiu-jitsu matches where their invitationals um they have one called EBI and Metamoris, and one of my favorites is I just got competed in. It's called Fight to Win. It's a pro jiu-jitsu match, and they match it similar to an MMA fight card where they'll take two of the you know better black belts uh, and, and on the scene at the time and match them up just like a, a fight match. So the training for it, you're training for one person, not a tournament, and and it's a like one 10-minute 10 10 minute straight round. And uh, usually submission only, no points, but they'll still pick a winner. And uh, so last weekend, I got to compete against, you know, one of the current uh, better black belts in the world, uh, Jeff Real, and he's a, you know, he's a champion in jiu-jitsu as well, and, and uh, had a great match. Uh, it was a good good test for me to see where I was still at in that scene, and uh, I got a good, I got a win. 
So. Yeah, I was going to say you're being very humble. You, you you waited till the end there to to point out that you were victorious, but you, you did get the win there. Do you get the same satisfaction? Do you get the same enjoyment out of BJJ that you get from MMA? Well, uh, to say like one of the things you mentioned earlier, but the training, the training is different. And, and you're training for MMA, and you're you're training for multiple sports. You're training boxer. You're training as a kickboxer. You're training as a wrestler. You're training as jiu-jitsu. You're training all these different things at one time. So it's very consuming. When you're training for jiu-jitsu, for me, I just uh, I do it because I love doing jiu-jitsu. So it's, my work focus is a little bit different. I don't feel as pressured to train. I just show up, you know, one, one training session a day and and train jiu-jitsu as anybody else would do. You know, any kind of physical activity once a day. So the pre- preparations, you know, it's much different, but, uh, the reward is just the same. I, I, it's a lot more prestige in the MMA fight and winning, especially on a big televised MMA fight. But the joy of victory just, it feels the same. You know, I mean, you put a lot of hard work in your team, your teammates get behind you and you train together every day. And so when you win, it's, you know, it, I, mean, I just came, came off this win and felt really good, uh, to, to get out there and train hard and then compete and, and get, get a victory. I understand you have three children. Do any of them take after you competing in combat and wrestling sports? Yeah, my my daughter doesn't. She's trained when she was younger, but now, uh, you know, she's older. She's 17. She doesn't. I think she stopped at about 13 years old. My two sons, however, have, you know, trained their whole life. I always say I used to carry my boys in the infant carrier and put them on the side of the mats. And one day they crawled out on the mats and they never got off. <laughs> so they still train. My son, Hayden, is a... He's a high school wrestler and he's, um, he just made the uh, California state dual team, which is, you know, really wrestling is very competitive to make those high level teams. It's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty phenomenal accomplishment as a, as a sophomore. You must be very proud. We're talking with Chad Robicho here on the Beyond the Game program. He is president and founder of Mighty Oaks Warrior Foundation. You can find out more about them, mightyoaksprograms.org. You can also follow Chad on Twitter at Chad Robo. Among the many things you do, you work with military men and women struggling with the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. Two years ago, when you were a guest on our program, you said that the daily suicide rate amongst veterans was something like 23 a day, and the divorce rate was a staggering number, around 80%. And those numbers are staggering. Have they changed at all since we last spoke? The most recent divorce rate has been closer to 90% now. And then, uh, the suicide rate, what, that 22 veterans a day in, in one active duty. But the, the flaw in that report is that that's only 21 states reporting. So we really don't know what the number is, but I can say that every time we get a group of 35 to 40 veterans and I ask them, you know, who here has lost a friend to suicide, you know, after Iraq or Afghanistan, every single one of them raise their hand. Mm-hmm. And that's not normal and, and that's not okay. And, uh, so we've, we've had in our program, we've had 919 graduates. And we deal with a really harsh demographic because we get active duty that's coming from you know, psych wards and wounded war battalions and different things like that. So we get all these guys that come in and we've had, we've had no suicide. I mean, our graduates. And so that's something we're really proud of. But beyond suicide, these guys are doing just amazing things afterwards. I will say though, on the, on the front end, we have a, a waiting list of, you know, 300 plus to come to our program. Far too many on our waiting list have taken their lives. In fact, about six. Mm. since uh since january 1st that we're waiting to come to our program so it's a very real issue um the depression the anxiety the after effects of you know coming home and and uh stepping out of a life of purpose into a life of, that feels hopeless and and uh, many guys struggle i struggle and um and so we're just 
very blessed for the opportunity to come alongside of them and, and uh, reveal to them that there is a purpose. There is something to live for, and there is uh, important things still in this world for them to do. Chad, how hard is it on you personally to know that somebody waiting to get into your program takes their own life? How difficult is that to deal with? It, it, it's the probably most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. Obviously, we you know we opened the conversation tonight talking about why I would leave something that I worked my whole life for at the point that it's you know the pinnacle of it because you wouldn't you wouldn't make a, a, a sacrifice like that in your personal life if it wasn't something that you were passionate about. It believe was bigger than you and more important than you and you know. To walk away from MMA is a small piece compared to the things that you know me and my fam- my family sacrificed to do this work because it is so difficult to uh, wake up every morning and know that the waiting list is just growing uh, on for guys to come to your program and it's bittersweet because you look at you know this this work that God has allowed us to do and when I say it's bittersweet I mean because we've always hoped that we'd become like a a beacon of hope our organization would be like a place that people would come and say wow there is hope there is a place to get help. And now that's happened, and there's a line that we we can't uh, you know meet everybody's needs. So it's a, it's a it is a very big struggle for me every day. Um, you know, I push my staff <laughs> to uh, to do everything we can to try the best job we can to get the right guys in. You know, I travel a tremendous. I mean, I'm going to Rochester this week, and I'm going to share my story and speak to everyone and encourage everyone that's in front of me. But I'm also going to raise funds to get guys into the program. You mentioned it, and we'll mention it a couple other times, but you will be in Rochester this coming Wednesday night. You'll be speaking uh, May 18th, 7 p.m., First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton. So I want to invite the listeners to come out and say hello to Chad and hear this great man speak. Uh, you mentioned that you yourself fought through PTSD after eight tours of duty. Uh, can you talk a little about the toll that that took on your family and how you were able to overcome that? You know, I wouldn't say it's anything that happened like at one specific time for me. For me, it was just a, each deployment, each time uh, I would go to you know overseas and come home, you know, I, I became a little more distant from my family, a little more of a, I'd say a frustrated person because I was, uh, anger probably wasn't the first symptom. It was just a high intense work environment that I carried over. Can't work at that pace and then Afghanistan and come home and be the, the Brady Bunch family. And, and uh, I mean, it just wasn't uh, something that I was able to do. So I came home and carried home a lot of anxiety and high stress like that high stress work environment home and and uh, I realized that and and so that me wanting to protect my family from that I kind of created a distance between me and them and uh that, that anger and frustration over time over a four-year period just turned into anxiety and um and a, a overwhelming sense of uh physiological symptoms that started to manifest which was you know my arms started going numb my face started going numb I feel like my throat was swelling shut and I didn't know what it was at the time it was the onset of panic attacks and uh and I didn't say anything about it because uh in fear of you know it was the special operations unit and fear of being you know viewed as weak or incapable and so I just kind of tried to keep it to myself and and eventually you know I had to complete you know breakdown and uh I just major panic attack and at this point in my point in my time overseas I didn't even remember about two weeks of my my deployment and came home and was diagnosed with PTSD and uh for me and my wife we had no idea uh anything about it and now there's a lot of information out but this was in April of 2007 being a special operations community I just uh, I never knew what PTSD was or knew what it knew what this post-traumatic stress disorder uh, and I hate that word disordered because it's you know completely inappropriate term for what actually happens to your body 
but uh you know it was it was something real that we faced and struggled with and and um I went from being angry and in high pace to being scared and feeling broken and scared my wife and we didn't know you know what else to do the doctor and counselor um they put me on medications to numb those symptoms and and uh it's a very sad thing to know, that, you know in dealing with other veterans to see that that's the solution that the v a and oftentimes unfortunately the military clinicians do is they you know give tons of medications we get we see guys that on thirty pills a day at times for p t s d and and these medications actually do numb and they numb to the point where you know, guys don't feel anxiety about anything about killing themselves about destroying their families about anything because they can't feel so in that in that state you know it only made the situation worse for me. One of the things I had done my whole life though is you know I'd done you know wrestling and martial arts I'd already fought professionally, so for me, it seemed like an easy transition is get you know my doctor and my con- and uh my wife really encouraged me to get out there and and do that and when I got on the wrestling mats uh, I really felt like I'd found the cure because if anybody's ever wrestled before when you're on those mats your your mind can't think of anything else you have to think of what you're doing at that time, so that brings a a moment of clarity and and a detachment, so I felt like wow, you know, this is perfect. I, I I get on these mats and I wrestle and I don't feel any anxiety. I can unplug. And honestly, that was good for me. It still is good for me to do that. But at that time, I took something that was good for me, like a medicine you could have for a cold, and, and I abused it. And I would spend 10, 12 hours a day on those wrestling mats, not dealing with the things I needed to deal with and continuing to distance my family. My home became a very, uh, not really a, a home. My family was, my wife and children were scared of me. I was very angry and eventually my wife and I separate in our own home and uh I I stepped out of our, our marriage and their relationship with other other women and we ended up separating and facing divorce. We sold our home, moved in two separate homes, devastated our, our children because our we do have such a close family, always have. So it just devastated them and that led me to probably my lowest point because that time alone allowed me to realize that all these things I blamed Everything on, you know, my dad for the way he, you know, for the dysfunctional way I was raised and my time in the military and my wife for not understanding because she couldn't possibly understand. You know, all these people I blame things on, I came to the realization that it was me, that I was responsible for the situation that I was in and what I put my family through. And that, that's a, that realization should have led me to fixing things, but it didn't. It led me to the realization that I'm the problem. I need to remove myself from the situation. So I wouldn't say I became suicidal because I wanted to escape my pain. It was because I looked at my family, who I did love, and I wanted to remove myself from the equation because I was the problem. And uh, and so I became suicidal, and I started trying to contemplate how I was going to do it to the point to where you know, I'd sit in my closet every day with a pistol and try to think, you know, who's going to clean this up? Who's going to find me? But I heard a statistic recently before that, that one in three children will take their life from a parent that commits suicide. And so that, that kept me from, from doing, from doing it, from pulling the trigger. And, mm. and I'm um, thankful for that. And that was kind of a, I wouldn't say a turning point. The turning point was, you know, at that moment, at that time, when my wife came to me with the funnel, she had divorce papers. They were all signed. And, and before she had gave them to me, she said she, she just wanted to know for her, you know, how I could, uh, had been successful. In the military, you know, she seen me become, you know, four street time marine, all the training, the, the deployment workups. She seen me do all these crazy fights, like fighting in strike force and Bellator and these, these big fights and all the work that would go into that and cutting weight and all these things. She's like, how could you do all that? And when it comes to your family, you'll quit. And that question 
that challenge just radically impacted me at that mm. moment in my life. I, I knew at that moment that I had that it, you know, I was wrong. I, I quit on the most important things in my life: my health, my faith in God, my uh, role as a husband, role as a father, and I just knew I had to I had to do something about it, and I had to make a decision to turn it around. And uh, so I made a decision then that I was going to uh, repair the damage and, and turn it around, and I did. Now, Kathy often speaks at the same events you do, and the two of you work very closely together in your ministry. To think that at one time your marriage was in such jeopardy, and what is it, how cool is it for you to work with her so closely in the ministry? It's broken full closure. I mean, our marriage has been through through a lot. I mean, we, uh, I mean, everything I talked about was really a snapshot, and it's the depth of, of things like that are a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of betrayal. You know, on my part too. I mean, you know, she would say it, but for me, it's like you know, at the time, I felt like I, I I drained Kathy empty, so she had nothing left to give to me um, because she, she tried to so hard for me. But in my perspective, at that time, and it's not right, but I felt like you know, I was married to a wife who wasn't supporting me. So there was there was just so much hurt between both of us, and I think doing the ministry now, helping other couples, uh, particularly writing our book, the Marriage Advance book that we wrote. Um, it just brought us to a level to really examine all that and go through all that, uh, the hurt, the pain, the betrayal, and just look at it and, and, and actually understand why it happened. And, uh, but more importantly, how the enemy meant to destroy us. And when I say the enemy, I meant, you know, the devil meant to steal and destroy our marriage and how God re- restored it because that was the, that was the key part of our restoration was the restoration of our faith and understanding how to be the men, how to be the women, how to be the, the marriage that God intended and aligning our marriage to that through the restoration of our faith, which is the biggest part of my healing and our marriage's healing. And then seeing that on the other side, the damage, the restoration, and what it looks like and using it as a tool to point others to the, to the same path. And that's what we get to do in our ministry together. And so it's just so rewarding. While you never want to you know, go through anything like that again, it actually brings some validation to, okay, if it could be used to help other people, then then it's worth it. Uh, it's worth it to go through, and uh, and and we we've, we've been just very fortunate to get to you know help a lot of other people uh, struggling with the exact same things that we struggle with. Your faith is obviously very important to you. Can you share with us how you first came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Well, as a teenager, the first time that uh you know 14 years old, um, my, my brother was was shot and killed. He was a year older than me and he was the closest person in my life at that time. And so I was in a real deep depression and uh, I had a friend, uh, his family was a really strong Christian family and I would always go, they really kind of scooped me up during this time in my life and they took me to a church and I remember uh, this moment where the pastor gave that opportunity to go and, you know, say a prayer and give your life to Christ and, and me and my two friends like ran up and, and did that and I was so enthusiastic. And, uh, and I believe it was real, but there was never any follow-up. There was never any mentorship, discipleship, anything like that. And so even though I believe I did that at a young age, there was no one that came alongside me. It was just like a, a moment for everyone else to clap, but there was no, again, there was no mentorship or discipleship beyond that. So, you know, the, the world, the Marine Corps, <laughs> everything else, you know, took me away from that decision and, uh, my own inability to follow up with what that meant. And so after, you know, fast forward, you know, all these years later, uh, unfortunately, all these years later that I have to live a life without the discipleship, when Kathy gave me that challenge 
to, to turn around and fight for our family. I, I knew I, did, I couldn't do it on, by myself. And so I said, I need some accountability to do this. And it wasn't a faith-based decision at the time. It was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, meet this challenge. Kathy gave me, I'm going to fight for our family. But knowing I couldn't do it by myself, I wanted someone to help me, hold me accountable. And I looked at my circle of influence and I had like a thousand students and I was fighting and everyone was kind of lifting me up and telling me what I wanted to hear. I didn't have anyone tell me what I needed to hear. I didn't have anybody to hold me accountable. So I had to ask Kathy, who had been in this church, just praying for me, can you find a man in your church that would come alongside me and help me do this? And she introduced me to this guy named Steve Tills. And, and Steve, you know, asked me what I was going to do. And I told him about this plan I had to put my life back together. And he said, you're going to fail. And the reason you're going to fail is because it has nothing to do with restoring your relationship with Christ. And uh, and so that moment, I, I trusted him. And not only did he, he reintroduce me to my relationship with Christ, but he walked me through a year-long uh, mentorship process of biblical manhood. What I discovered at the end of this year was that when I had tried all the pills, all the counseling, as much as I love jiu-jitsu, all the time in jiu-jitsu, all these things that I had tried, nothing worked to heal my anxiety, my depression, my lack of worth, my loss of purpose, all those things that, I, that PTSD and my, exper- my experiences from childhood and Afghanistan had brought in my life. None of these things that were able to heal me, but when I simply aligned my life, made a choice to align my life with the life that God intended me to live, be the man that he created me to be, all those things that went away. Uh, I, I was, you know, I, I didn't have the anger anymore. I didn't have the anxiety. I didn't have the, the struggles that I had. They were going away. I still had struggles, but it was different. I was able to have something to calibrate my life to and, and make decisions based off of. And that to me was like, uh, the only way I, I, I'm capable of explaining how I felt when I discovered that was like, if I had stage four terminal cancer and was dying and somebody gave me the cure, I felt like I had to share it. Mm. And, uh, and I knew that, that, uh, all these other veterans were taking their life and these other families were divorcing and, uh, and I'm sitting here with the cure and I had to, I had to share it. And, uh, that's why we started my yokes. If I could pay it, if I was able to pay it forward to one person, what the challenge that Kathy gave me, the mentorship that Steve gave me and the second chance of God's grace that I had, um, that I had to do that. And, and I've been privileged and I want to share it with one, but with many. And, uh, and I'm planning to continue to do that for the rest of my life. Well, that's a very impactful story. Great story. I can't wait to hear more about uh, you and your ministry Wednesday night at First Bible Baptist Church, 7 p.m. Uh, Chad, I want to thank you for coming on the program once again, and I look forward to seeing you on Wednesday. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you guys. And uh, Thanks for having me on today. That's Chad Robicho here with us on the Beyond the Game program. If you missed it, check this out. Chad is a former world champion MMA fighter. He earned a Ph.D., he's an ordained pastor, he's a best-selling author, he served eight tours of duty in Afghanistan, he was a Special Operations Force Recon Marine, a federal special agent with the U.S. Air Marshal Service, and is a Medal of Valor recipient. I know it was a long interview, and you, as as a producer, you're you're probably hating me for it, but... (laughs) No, he's such an interesting guy. He's done so many impressive things, and you just want to talk to him a little bit about all of it because he's he's really an impressive individual. And Thanks for joining us. I'm Rick Benson. You're listening to Beyond the Game, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions.